Well, hello. How you doing? Welcome to Ask the Garden Geek. I am busy as can be today. I've been sick all week. It's Thursday. It's the first day I feel good. I'm sitting here in my office with piles of stuff that have to get done, and they're deadline intensive. And you need a podcast, man. It's, it's my job to give you one, but I really don't have time to do that. So I'm going to do something better. I'm going to do something better. I found uh, when I was looking for something else on the other computer that's over there, I found an audio file from 2010 uh, when I was doing a radio show on two different networks, BizTalk Radio Network for one hour, and then another hour, I was on something called the Accent Radio Network, and it was a strange network. But anyway, I, it came to hour two, and I did this segment for them, and it, it's, um, it's interesting, and it's dated, and it's weird, and it's got people that you might know. Uh, first of all, my producer, uh, Andrew McGee, did this really bizarre opening for the segment. And then there was uh, Mad Dog, who's been listening to the show forever, lives up in Michigan. And I talked with him for a little bit. And then I had the guest, a guy by the name of Dr. John Steyer from Wisconsin, who is a turf grass guy. And we talked about turf grass and we talked about pesticides and a bunch of stuff. And, you know, that's all, that, that's all in there. And I'm going to leave the commercials in because the commercials are weird, okay? And, and I just want to tell you a little bit about the commercials. The commercials, the Accent Radio Network was owned by some people who had a nutrition business. They made a lot of claims about their nutritional stuff on their show. Uh, and what happened is they got arrested and they got thrown in the pokey. They, they went to federal prison. I think they're out now, uh, but they, they went to federal, and that was the end of the Accent Radio Network. So I left some of their cute commercials in so you could see that. And you're going to hear me talk about a website, uh, and uh, the, the website doesn't exist, but I talk about a picture. If I can find it on the website, if I can find the picture, I will stick the picture on the podcast website so you can see it there. So that's what it's all about. Let's go back 10 years now and listen to this, I would say, 25-minute segment. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to fetch her poor dog a bone. But when she came there, the cupboard was bare. So they both starved. At least that's what the coroner's report said. Major suckage. Anyway, here's Michael. I want a bacon and cheese omelet. I need a wife. I used to have one of those. She used to make me bacon and cheese omelets. Then she dumped me. I'm sad. Hey, good morning, everyone. We're talking with Wayne in Michigan. And Wayne... I've seen video on YouTube of your house. You have a neat house. You got a barn. You've got a a windmill. You've got all kinds of stuff, and you have you have uh, uh, snow thingies that you ride around. And I don't relate to what those are. <laughs> you have all this stuff. How did you yeah. pay off your house in five years? You know what? I was very frugal and intelligent about the whole thing. First off, I don't go to a Starbucks and buy $6 lattes, okay? Yeah, I know. You go to McDonald's and lose your wallet. But but let's get back to the house. How'd you, how'd you pay off that house? I paid it off by making that the absolute first priority in where the money goes. You know, you don't, you don't go to Starbucks. You don't eat out. 
you pack your lunch. You, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have those expenses. I don't do any of that stuff either. I don't take, we very rarely take vacations. I buy used cars. I haven't bought a new car in 20 years. I don't remember the last time I bought a new car. Debt is a matter of choice. For most people, I have I have no I had a paid off house before also, before, but you know, but now I have a mortgage. <laughs> well, yes, and I had I moved again. I've been in this house for twenty five years now. A lot of people end up moving, and usually when you move, it's a loss. You usually lose. I don't care what you say. When you're starting all over again, it's going to cost you. That's, That's right. And by the way, I hate moving. I'm in this house forever now. Well, and I'm probably where I'm at forever too, but you know all the improvements that you know about didn't come up, didn't come about at first. They come out over a period of time. The American right. people, in generally, want stuff right now. I want it now. I want it now. Well, you know what? You can't have it now and pay for it. But Wayne, I know you've got a good job. How'd you pay off a house in five years? Well, you know, back when I bought this house, I think I had to put, if I remember right, I had to put twenty-five percent down. Yeah, like which today, I did on my house too. Not like today when you you don't have to put anything down. No, you don't. You just kind of walk in and smile, and they give you a mortgage. Although it's not that way now, but that's the way it was. It's just a, it's a matter of choice where your money goes. You don't buy junk. You don't buy things you don't need. Things you can do without. You set a priority in your life, and at that time it was getting the house paid off, so I'd be out of debt, so I could have some of these other things as I got older. Wow, you're my that's hero, that. Wayne. That's an intelligent way to do it. Unfortunately, most of the American public doesn't do it that way. I have to agree with you, but you still haven't told me how you pay your house off in five years. It took me 13 years to pay my house off. Well, I guess I'm just better at it than you. You are. You're the man. (laughs) I'm sorry. Hey, go stick the the part two video of the dead weeds on on 10rats.com, would you? Oh, okay, I can. Yeah, I can. Do you mean the longer version? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I think you're 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 my hero. Hey, I got a guest. I got to go to. Good talking right. to you. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Doctor John Steyer. Okay, is an environmental turf grass extension specialist and professor and chair at the Department of Horticulture at the University of Wisconsin, where it's cold a good deal of the year in Madison, and he is my guest here. Hello, Doctor Steyer. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Good morning, Michael. You're doing just great. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. By the way, you need to fire your publicist also. Uh, But we'll talk about that later. (laughs) I'll get on that when we're done. Yes. uh, Don't fire him. Just break one of his toes. Okay. You, uh, you're an active member of several professional societies, including the Sports Turf Managers Association and Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. And you're here today to talk about all kinds of interesting things having to do with turf grass and homeowners maintaining safe play areas for their own student athletes and groundskeepers to, you know, to build really good ball fields and everything. And you're going to tell us how to do this without dumping massive amounts of chemicals on it, right? That's right, Michael. I was also uh, running the Wisconsin's version of the school IPM program for about 10 years from 1999 through 2009. Wow. So you're like Mr. Pesticide. 
So we, we spent a lot of time in schools. We spent a lot of time uh, analyzing what types of pesticides were or were not being used and so forth. Um, I've also worked, uh, like you pointed out, with a number of uh, sports turf entities, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, the NFL, and FIFA soccer. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of legislation that's going on now, especially with turf grass. Now, in the South, I don't know if this is happening in Wisconsin, but in the South, there's all kinds of major legislation going on with turf grass and fertilizer. Uh, is that happening up north? We do have legislation occurring with turf grass and fertilizer. Our departments of natural resources and Department of Agriculture tend to want to base uh, legislation on scientific information, though, and so... Oh, unlike uh, Florida, who just the, takes weird stuff and throws it out there. Well, and I'm, I'm not sure how Florida does this, uh, but our I, I can really best speak for our state, and our state um, has rather uh, comprehensive, informed processes, which, which may take a year or more before any regulations are passed so that they can review all of, all of the scientific documentation that's pertinent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now... Tell me about some of the laws as far as pesticides are concerned. Our, uh, there's a lot of legislation that's going on nationwide having to do with pesticides uh, on turf grass and in just in our general environment everywhere. And, um, you know, a lot of local municipalities are trying to pass laws uh, regulating what type of pesticides can be used. Is this something that's wise, or is the Environmental Protection Agency doing a good enough job and uh, in, in allowing labels for pesticides to exist through their testing process, and them, you know, they be the ones that determine if a pesticide is safe to use in our environment, on our lawns, in our fields, in our golf courses. Well, that's a great question, Michael. The uh, Environmental Protection Agency was was formed after 1970 as part of the Federal Insecticide Fungicide Rodenticide Act, and they are charged with protecting the nation's uh, resources and human health from, uh, from pesticides. And I, I think it's important to take a step back and realize that um, in, in, in most cases, the only difference between pesticides and antibiotics that we might get from our doctor or buy over-the-counter at, at the pharmacy is um, the fact that they're used against pests instead of humans. Exactly. Uh, in, in, in fact, um, things like uh, Clomitrimazole, which are found in uh, athlete's foot cream and jock itch cream and so forth, can be the same type of fungicide applied to golf course. Wow. I didn't know that. It's so, it, it, in, in essence, it, it's a marketing thing. And ultimately, pharmaceuticals and pesticides are two of the most highly regulated compounds that we're ever going to find. It takes 8 to 10 years to get a pesticide registered with the EPA. Mm-hmm. And that includes years of toxicological testing and environmental fate. They want to know how, how fast the product breaks down in the environment, things like carbon dioxide and, and water and so forth. And um, it, takes, it takes well over $100 million to get a single product to market. Consequently, we don't see a whole lot of new products coming to market for pesticides anymore, uh, but those ones that are tend to be very useful at very low-use rates and relatively environmentally benign and uh yeah the pesticides that are out there now human health 
Yeah, the pesticides that are on the market right now, the the pyrethroids and, uh, you know, some of these non-repellent technologies as far as like imidacloprid uh, that I always mispronounce. And, you know, products... very good. Oh, okay. Products like that. You compare these products to the products that we were, that you could buy at Home Depot even five years ago. And the safety is just day and night compared to what, you know, we are, is available now, compared to what, you know, to what was available just five years ago. So we've come a long way. We, we certainly have. And, and part of that has been due to the efforts of the Environmental Protection Agency and the companies wanting to satisfy the desires of the consumers. Right. Now, I understand that New York is, is uh, passing or has passed some rather intensive legislation as far as pesticides are concerned. Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, so what I, what I know is um, there's a bill that's moving through the state legislature of New York called the Foley Bill. It passed the Senate, I believe, last week, and it's now being debated by the House. What that would do is it would prohibit the use of pesticides on school or daycare grounds, which, which sounds great. Um, in reality, when we have a blanket law like that, it really takes tools away from people who are managing things. And I, I think back to a local school district here several years ago that had banned the use of 2,4-D herbicide. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I got a call uh, from, a, from a board member who had helped uh, push for the passage of that. She was somewhat frantic. Uh, a child had um, gone and chased a soccer ball off the, uh, off the soccer field there and got in poison ivy, which used to be controlled just off the soccer field. He ended up in the hospital. Um, And so she wanted to know what else could be used. And and really the only other option was was another synthetic herbicide. And I I think it's important to keep in mind, too, that despite um, all of the angst about 2,4-D, the EPA issued a white paper about uh, three years ago, August of, I think, 2007, 2008, indicating that uh, over 300 studies in the last two, uh, 20 years had not been able to show any evidence of carcinogenicity from 2,4-D, which is something that people oftentimes point to. Hmm. Yeah, there has been, and, and 2,4-D, if it is used correctly, does a marvelous job. And by the way, in, the schools all have, you know, they all have football fields. And how are they going to, if they're, eliminating 2,4-D, they're going to have a lot of weeds on that football field. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that, and I want to go more into turf grass with you, so we will continue. We want to introduce a gentleman that had us on his program out in KLID Poplar Bluff Country, and we are just really thrilled to welcome Jerry Evans. And Jerry, welcome to Daniel Chapter One Health Watch. Hi, well, Jerry. Hey, hey, Trish. Hey, Jim. You know, Trish and I had discussed the hour that you gave us, the program that you had us on. We were so thrilled because so much came out of there about how the Lord is using people, and we just want people to know how God is using KLID out there in Missouri and in your program and. 
Sonny. You mind uh, sharing what uh, amazing stuff you guys are doing? Yeah, I sure will, Jim. What we're doing here at KLID Radio, we have a petition, a hard copy, for folks to come into our station locally here and to sign the petition and get as many signatures from their whole family. Then also we're uh, placing them around some of the communities, and we're going to try to get it in the newspaper where they can just actually get a signed signature in that. We're going to try to see if they'll get that in for us. Do what you can in this battle. Join the free speech ministry. Call 800-504-5511. Accent Radio Network is on another satellite, a free-to-air satellite. Radio stations and consumers can now pick up ARN programming for a fraction of what it once cost. For a one-time price of only $199, any station, any individual, any business can start pulling down ARN signal from this satellite anytime. There are absolutely no monthly fees for DVB. Pay once for the equipment, and you've got ARN and more forever. For $199, you get the receiver, the LNBF, and the satellite dish. The dish is about the size of a direct TV or Dish Network satellite dish and comes with the mounting hardware also. Each receiver arrives at your door pre-programmed for ARN audio. That's right, no receiver programming needed. The dish can be pointed by anyone who can point direct TV dishes. What are you waiting for? Get wholesome, entertaining, and challenging programming today for an affordable price. For more information on this system, visit AccentRadio.com. Keep checking back for more new and exciting ARN developments. That website again, AccentRadio.com. For decades, Jim and Trish Fijo have used Daniel Chapter 1 as a ministry to provide information about natural health solutions. Now, a radically out-of-order FTC and FDA want to completely silence their perspective on health matters. They want to prevent consumers from having full knowledge of all the available treatment options. We all know this is a gross disregard for human freedom and dignity. Now, the Tea Party America is fighting back. The momentum is in the people's hands. Jim and Trish will continue to fight on, but they can't do it alone. You can see it in their resolute but tired eyes. Scripture tells of a battle in which as long as Moses held up his hands, God's people were winning. But on his own, Moses grew weary. It wasn't until his friends raised his weary hands for him that redemption was found. Won't you do the same for Jim and Trish? Visit dc1freedom.com today or call 1-800-504-5511 and ask how you can help. Back to Great Gardening Tips and Pesky Pest Control with your host, Michael Kroos, on... Home and Garden Radio. That was great, fellas. You sounded fantastic. We continue right now, and our guest right now is Dr. John Steyer. And Dr. Dr. Steyer is talking with us today about turf grass. We're talking about pesticides and the safety of pesticides. And like we were discussing a few minutes ago... In order for a pesticide to make it to market right now, literally $100 million has to be spent on toxicology, on efficacy, all kinds of things. So if a pesticide makes it to the market in today's, you know, it, it, today, you can be reasonably sure that it is going to have little ill effects, if any, probably none, to the environment. And the pesticides that we have today do a pretty good job. I'm pretty pleased with, with the pesticides that we have today. And um, right now, schools in New York are, well, New York wants to pass this law that's going to greatly restrict the pesticides that are going to be able to be used in schools. And we're talking a little bit about athletic fields with herbicides. What about protecting uh, the environment inside the schools with pesticides right now? How restricted is that going to be with this legislation? Mike, uh, the legislation in the Foley Bill for New York uh, will restrict um, 
most likely a number of types of applications. One thing they did do, which is which is uh, probably pretty good, is they allow uh, the use of boric acid and pesticides that are in self-contained traps. We've seen other schools um, or at least districts uh, oftentimes prohibit all pesticides, mean, meaning a teacher could not even put out an ant trap. Um, and in some cases, these these things just don't seem to be logical. But the, the Foley bill at least does uh, still allow that. What if there's a, you know, in New York, and this happens in New York, what if there's a tick infestation that happens in, you know, at a school in New York? Uh, ticks can be a real problem, and I have seen ticks in New York at homes become a problem. What if around the grounds of a school you get a tick infestation and they work their way into the classroom? And I have seen this happen. What are they going to be able to use? Well, that's, that's right. Um, ticks and things like uh, stinging insects such as yellow jackets sure. and bees, which can cause anaphylactic shock to, to, uh, to children and adults that are severely allergic to them, resulting in, in death. Um, we will have a real hard time controlling them. They, there, are, there are not uh, necessarily any, any good, um, effective countermeasures that can be readily used. Well, I can tell you that bififlin is going to knock the ticks out of there, and it's going to be safe, well, in my opinion, safe for the environment. It's not going to affect the, the students at the school whatsoever at all, and it's going to protect them from getting all of the diseases that come with ticks. Right. So I think one of the important things is uh, to realize that the EPA, uh, back in the mid-'90s, uh, passed the Food Quality Protection Act, which greatly enhanced the safety risk factor for pesticides to be registered. And so they uh, essentially determined what is a um, uh, what is a non-harmful level of pesticides to animals. Then they add a tenfold risk factor for humans. Then they've essentially multiplied that by a hundred be- uh, for uh, children. Uh, and so we're already looking at pesticides, pesticides being registered that have greater than a thousand-fold caution or, or buffer factor uh, right. compared to what they, they expect could even potentially be harmful. Well, my question is this. If we have the Environmental Protection Agency, which has a big budget, which in my opinion does a marvelous job at doing what they do when it comes to regulating pesticides, regulating pesticide use, uh, telling the manufacturers exactly, you know, what standards a pesticide needs to have in order for it to be released out into the environment for use. Why are the states getting involved? Why can't the states say, as long as you follow EPA guidelines, we're happy? Why are the states and in different municipalities trying to get into the business of duplicating, and not doing a good job of it, by the way, what the what we are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars with the federal government through the Environmental Protection Agency doing? Why are we duplicating and spending all this additional money? Mike, I, I think that's a that's a great question, and one can't help but but wonder if it's because these are relatively low hanging political fruits. Uh, no, nobody's going to to fight against the idea that we're trying to make the the country safer. Although uh, what we do have to ask ourselves is, is this really going to make anything safer? Is there really even a problem here? I don't think there's a problem. I think this is just something that makes people look good. 
and and it it makes me mad and it it uh is costing taxpayers millions of dollars that they don't need to spend and like you you talked about the young lady with the poison ivy you know there is something a little bit of 24d could have zapped it out and she would not have been suffering and had not had to go to the hospital so things like this just drive me crazy, but I'm easy to be, you know, it's easy to drive me crazy. Uh, you know, I can't stand people who text and drive at the same time. So now you are a turf grass guy, and I, I'm, I'm a turf grass guy. I love turf grass. And you work on, on ball fields and golf courses and things like this. Can I ask you, what is your very favorite turf grass for a ball field, for a football field? Well, for a football field, up in the north part of the country, it's going mm-hmm. to be Kentucky bluegrass because it's relatively traffic tolerant and it provides good good footing, good traction, good appearance, and so forth. The absolute best grass, though, that we've got in the United States for football because it provides great traction, great cover, and recovery is Bermuda grass, which absolutely. is absolutely Florida. The Tiflon, the Tiflons, uh, and you're up in where you live. You don't have nematodes, but in the south down here, we have nematodes. Uh, that will affect the Bermuda grass greatly. Uh, does buffalo grass grow in, in Wisconsin? Uh, buffalo grass will grow sporadically in Wisconsin. Uh, I think it gets too too cold with too wet of soils here, though. Buffalo yeah. grass can survive cold temperatures, but normally we only see it surviving uh, cold temperatures in dry soil. Up here in Wisconsin, we've got too much moisture in the soil, and I think it, I think it freezes out. It, it also is really considered a, a very low-maintenance grass. It does not form as dense of a turf as most other grasses do. So its use, its use is, is limited uh, for um, out-of-the-way areas or golf course roughs or something like that, but in those situations it can perform quite well. That's true, and, and it grows well in uh, areas like Kansas and, uh, you know, the Midwest seems to do better with it. But you're right, those wet, the, the wet and the real cold, it's just not going to do well. And with this winter, you know, I can only imagine what your winter was like if our winter in the south was bad this year. And, you know, your summers are cold, for crying out loud up there. But it's, it's a well, beautiful part of the country. Compared to Florida, that, that's, that, that's for sure. That is definitely for sure. Well, uh, Doctor, I want to thank you for joining us. Is there a website that people can go to to find out about more of this stuff? That's right. So people can go to a website called Debug the Myth, all one word, debugthemyth.com, and find out more information about pesticides and the environment and how to manage grass and, and even their home, home lawns. Debugthemyth.com. I'll stick a link to that on my uh, website. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Sorry we get the times mixed up. But uh, glad you're here, glad we could talk, and uh, absolutely, don't be afraid of pesticides. Just use them correctly. Always read and follow the label directions, correct? Exactly. That's what I always tell people. Exactly. And if you do that, you're going to be just fine, Uh, just absolutely fine. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Michael. Bye. All right, and we, uh, as we wrap things up here, I want you. I want to give you a couple of websites to go to. Well, one in particular, homeandgardenradio.com. I have a picture. The debug the myth people were in Florida uh, last month, and I went over and they took my picture on an anthill. And I, I want to. I'm going to stick that on the website along with their website, so you can go to that. I'll get that done here in just a little bit. But uh, they're fine people. They uh, come from an organization that uh, 
talks about our environment and does all kinds of good things for us, and they're looking out for us. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. This program has been brought to you by Accent Radio Network, copyright 2010. To order a copy of the show, go online to accentradio.com. <laughs>